0: This is a new dimension in sound from Cavalier Basketball. LeBron watching with seven, with six, with five. Who else but LeBron? LeBron to the circle on loads. Got it! I think he'd prefer King to Indians baseball. Swung
1: in and belted to deep left! Away
0: back goal! To Brown's football. Back
1: in the pocket, steps up, goes into the end zone, up high, bailing Edwards.
0: up, got it,
1: Touchdown. This is the waiting for next year.com podcast. Welcome to this week's edition of the WaitingForNextYear.com podcast. Your host this
2: week again, yours truly Scott Sargent. With me this week is Rick. Rick, say hello. Hello. I'm happy to be with you again, Scott. Our uh,
1: guest of honor later in the show will be Jason from 11warriors.com. But for right now, let's kick it to Rick
2: and start the cycle with the Browns.
0: Going for the cycle.
1: Today we've uh, we
2: saw some news. Joe Giravicious is indeed going to be put on the physically unable to perform list, which means he will officially be out for at least those first six games. Not a big surprise, um, to be honest with you. The big surprise would be if he came back after six weeks. Uh, you know, still hoping that he will, but uh, not counting on him. Certainly, uh, Kevin Casper. Uh, is going to start or actually be on the injured reserve for the entire season, so we won 't be seeing Kevin Casper he is out of the third wide receiver race uh, also released were uh, Austin Scott, Damon Jenkins, and Brian Schaffering. Uh, none of those really were figuring into the plans um, Austin Scott obviously was the uh, running back uh, that we the undrafted running back free agent from uh, Penn State that we picked up uh, Austin just uh, did not get it done in the preseason and was released. Uh, Coming up this Thursday night, we've got the last preseason game, this one against the Chicago Bears. Don't expect to see a whole lot of new things out of the Browns, especially personnel-wise. Not playing Thursday are Derek Anderson, Braylon Edwards, Brodney Poole, Sean Jones, and Jamal Lewis i wouldn 't expect to see any of the linebackers that we haven 't seen in the last couple of weeks, uh, namely Willie McGinnis. Uh don 't expect to see uh, any of a, a peak uh, or or even really Mcmillan for that matter um, so this game if you if you didn 't like the Detroit game, if you thought that the Detroit game featured a lot of ugly football with players you don 't you know really see all that much. You might not want to tune in to the Chicago game because it's going to be more of the same. You know, having said that, you know we've also got to. You know, Brady Quinn is expected to play the first half, uh, but yet we are talking about not playing guys like Joe Thomas and Kellen Winslow all that long for fear of keeping them, uh, keeping them healthy. But yet we're willing to expose Brady Quinn to injury. I, I just kind of thought that that was interesting. Um, not much playing time, then, for uh, the third wide receiver, which, you know, is, is kind of unfortunate because that's a spot that's, that's open for, uh, for debate. You know, some have said, well, Travis Wilson's going to step up. Others have said he hasn't stepped up, and so he might even be released. Not real sure what's going to happen. Uh, uh, Joe Horn has come out, and apparently his agent is contacting every team in the NFL looking for work for him, says he wants to play in Cleveland. I say that makes no sense whatsoever. Uh, we don't need another. player that is uh, old and on the slowing side and has actually never played the slot anyways it just doesn't make any sense for him uh, to come in here now the signing that could happen is a cornerback and obviously we've been talking this week about uh, Ricky Manning with his release from the Bears uh, Ty Law that, that saga that dilemma is still going on um, and you know let's face it it's, it's being predicated because Eric Wright and uh, Brandon McDonald are not really looking like world beaters out there on the corner right now and they're the two guys that we have tabbed to, to be the men and if they're not uh, able to step up then we're going to need to sign someone who's going to be more than just a nickel back. we're going to need to sign someone who's got a chance to start and so you know that debate rages on who will it be uh, or will it be someone that's yet to be cut we don't know um, but uh, to continue on for the cycle let's go to the Indians WaitingForNextYear.com As we approach the end of the 2008 season
1: uh, recent news off com has Eric Wedge mentioning uh, a possible six man rotation uh, going into the fall um, you know most teams you know Stretch, stretch the thing a little bit, and go with a five-man rotation. And then once you get to the playoffs, you know, hit up the four-man just to get your two best starters uh, the, as many opportunities as possible. But uh, with with a few injuries and a few trades, we might see that the, uh, the the six-man rotation. If Aaron Laffey gets the call up to uh, to join Cliff Lee, uh, Jeremy Sowers, Zach Jackson, Fausto Carmona, and Anthony Reyes. Uh, personally, I wouldn't mind seeing David Hoff as well. Um, We've seen some recent comparisons on the Diatribe. Uh, Paul from the Diatribe listed uh, compared uh, Sowers and David Huff, and Huff has had stellar numbers in uh, all minor league levels, and he'd be a, a prize acquisition to see in the fall. But if Laffey does get the call up, uh, he appears to have the ground ball working again uh, with in Triple A, despite one poor outing. Um, so we'll see if that happens. Um, and then on the uh, opposite side of the plate, uh, we have uh, Franklin Gutierrez. Uh, I don't know what sense of urgency this guy needs to be able to play, but it appears when he's trying to make the team in any sort, he, he does well. Uh, spring training, we didn't know where he was going to be. Uh, did extremely well and gave us high expectations coming in. Uh, then came March through pretty much August and through the end of July I should say, where he did next to nothing. And now we have the month of August where he's hitting three thirty three, three ninety two, five ninety seven respectively. Um he he's off Thursday or on Wednesday's game, I'm sorry. But there's a good chance by the end of August he can eclipse his hit totals from May, June and July combined. He's already topped his RBI numbers, he's already topped the total base numbers. He could almost top the doubles numbers if those fall into place. But to have one month of production as much as three months prior on consistent playing time is almost unheard of. So while you know he seems to be a second half type of guy as uh referenced by his second half last year. Uh, We do hope to see it coming, but we also do hope he can keep it going into next year. And to finish off the Tribe and head to the Cavs, we give you Rick.
2: Well, my personal disdain for Andy Marte has probably been well documented on the website. Uh, Andy Marte is in danger, and I say danger, I guess, of breaking the 200 barrier. He was at 197 heading into tonight's game, uh, has the potential to push that average over 200 for the season. And so we're all on, on uh, pins and needles to see if, if he can get over that Mendoza line. I do have an interesting stat for you, though. I have the the opportunity or the, the time when Andy Marte is lights out, the the time that you don't want to face Andy Marte. And that time is when he swings on the first pitch. Do you know that Andy Marte, when swinging at the first pitch, his batting average is 476. He is 10 for 21 swinging at that first pitch. Now, after the first pitch, his average drops to 158. He is 24 for 158 when uh, when facing more than one pitch. So, obviously... You know, the answer for Marte is is to go up there swinging. Unfortunately for Marte, if he goes up there swinging every time, the pitchers are going to figure that out, and they're going to throw those sliders that he can't hit, and suddenly he's going to be in an 0-1 hole, and his batting average is going to continue to plummet. He is hitting 165 versus right-handed, hitting, right-handed pitching. That is just not acceptable. He is not the third base in the future, and I really hope that the Indians see that. So let's, uh, let's move on from the Indians and from Andy Marte, and let's go to the Cavaliers. For next Obviously everything's been pretty quiet on the Cavalier front. Uh, Uh, We have had no news on Delonte West. Uh, In this case, no news is not necessarily good news. There, despite the rumors, there seem to be no trades really forthcoming or nothing on the horizon. Obviously, we have LeBron James has won his gold medal. Uh, He is uh, quite excited about that, and and reportedly, then afterwards, he said that he wouldn't play again for Team USA unless Jason Kidd was involved, whether as a a player or a player coach, as uh, LeBron hinted at. Not really sure how serious he was about that comment, but uh, uh, we did read about that uh, in uh, some Dallas newspapers and linked to it. From the site, uh, about the only thing that, that might be open for discussion or debate right now is, is the Cavs roster. As we see it, we've got Gibson, Hickson, Ilgaskis, James, uh, uh, Kinsey, Pavlovich, Snow, Zerbiak, Thomas, Vergel, Wallace, Williams, and Allred signed. So we have. Two spots that are currently open. Obviously, if Delonte West signs, he's got one of those spots. Uh, Darnell Jackson uh, is uh, the other draft pick that that we could potentially see occupy one of those spots. Uh, we we still have to wait and see what happens with Eric Snow. If Eric Snow decides to retire, or if he decides to take some type of you know medical disability, um, then there's a chance that maybe the uh, the Cavs could bring in uh, some type of veteran big man help. Uh, you know, some type of Scott Williams or Scott. Pollard uh, type of uh, of player uh, to uh, you know to to bring in and beef up the, the middle of that uh, Cavaliers rotation and give us that fourth big man that uh, I think that we're going to need. Um, but that is pretty much it on the Cavaliers. Let's go ahead and go now to the main event. And now, and now the main event.
1: Main event. Welcome to this week's edition of the main event. Uh, Yours truly, Scott Sargent, will be hosting, and as promised, the guest of honor tonight is Jason from 11warriors.com. Jason, say good evening. Hey, everyone. And uh, with the uh, Buckeyes uh, starting the the season off this Saturday, we, uh, we figured it would be a, an opportune time to uh, have Jason with us. and and to uh to kick off the first question, Rick, take it away
2: uh jason we were um, we were kind of talking earlier we looked in on the uh, the dispatch website today, and uh Gordon and May gave their key offensive and defensive players i 'll give you those. Uh, Gordon said that Beckman was his key offensive player, and I think we can understand why that would be uh, the case um, but may may chose Bryant Browning who 's going to be starting at right tackle. Uh, uh, for the Buckeyes this year, um, an interesting pick to say the least. Uh, let's uh, let's have your key offensive player for the Buckeyes this season.
0: Sure, I think that uh, you know Beckman's obviously interesting because you know a lot of fans are wondering if he's uh, if called upon, if he if he's capable of actually winning a game. I mean, his M.O. so far has been you know basically not to lose games. So uh, that's an interesting pick. For myself, I I think whoever emerges at the third wide receiver spot, I mean, we we know Rubisky and Hartline can get it done. But if we can get somebody out at the third wide receiver who can really stretch the field, maybe open up, make the safeties play off the ball a little bit further, that's going to translate to, you know, Beanie having a lot more success, and with that, Beckman having a lot more success. So, I'm really, really interested in seeing who's going to emerge there. I think that there are, you know, plenty of candidates. Um, you know, you have uh, you know, Great Dane, you've got, uh, you know, Ray Small, uh, Posey, Washington. I'm um, I, I really, really high on Posey. Just, I don't know something about him from his speed and his highlight films and all that stuff. I'm excited to see what he can do, but uh just as long as somebody gets it done in the third spot and creates, you know, you know, three three potent wide receivers defenses have to key on, then I think it's gonna open everything else up.
2: Okay. Um, I think that, personally I think that uh, Alex Boone um needs to to I think kinda of take leadership of that line this year and really um Really, step up his game now, obviously he 's you know in the big ten there there are a few tackles that are better than him, but uh, nationally you know he he did not have a stellar championship game last year um and, and in fact honestly uh, uh Faltered a little bit in the Illinois game as well, and I think that he's one, and certainly you know, we read the reports where he's come to camp in much better shape, and I hope that he can lead that line, and that he can be the guy that everybody kind of draws their uh, their inspiration from on that line, you know, going through the workouts and all that. But I think he's going to be kind of key, um, you know, obviously. Uh, you know, Chris Wells is. They're going to go as far as Chris Wells takes them. You know, they're going to jump on his back offensively, and and you know, like you say, they're going to ask Beckman not to lose the game for him. You know, Hartline or Bisky occasionally are going to catch you know a touchdown pass, but it, the running game is really what Ohio State is going to win or lose with this year. Let's switch over to the other side of the ball. The key defensive player now uh, may chose uh, Lawrence Wilson. Uh, obviously, defensive lineman, um, someone that he's looking to uh, step up and replace Vernon Golston's productivity. Uh, while uh, Gordon picked up uh, b- both safeties, uh, Russell and Coleman, who would you say is your, your key defensive player?
0: Well, I think you kind of have to touch on the tackles. I mean, they're not going to—they're not going to get all the glory. They're not going to get all the sacks and and tackles and things like that. But as long as they're eating up, you know, guards, centers, tackles, fullbacks, things like that, and, and that—that's going to allow the uh, the linebacker core to really go out and do their thing and dominate from the defensive side. But personally, I'm really looking for a uh, breakout season out of um, Kirk Coleman. You know, I, I know he likes to bring the wood. He's had some problems with uh, with Butterfingers last year, but I think this is the year he really puts it all together and, and really really takes a step forward. So I'd like to see him uh, him blow up, and I'm looking for him to do that.
2: I, I like what you say about the defensive tackles there, and I think that Doug, Doug Worthington is going to be the guy that uh, if if the Buckeyes are able to shut down the run, Worthington's going to have to be one that steps up. Now, uh, obviously, he's you know he's had a little bit of off-field uh, issues this year. Uh, it, Tressel announced this week that he will play this week. He's not going to start, but he will play. Um, basically, meaning that that's that's all his uh, his punishment is going to be, at least from the from the team for uh, his incident off the field. All he's going to uh, to do is miss a couple plays uh, this week. So,
0: yeah, it's um, interesting to see uh, Tressel still clinging to that uh, car key metaphor too. In, in light of his situation, I thought he yeah. maybe maybe want to switch it up, but. Uh...
2: Well, he certainly, a, he's going to be a stalwart on that line. If if we're going to stop the run, I think it's going to have to start with him and then flow back to those linebackers. Um, you know, the, the middle linebacker position for the Buckeyes has is, has a tradition of you know getting the most tackles on the team. Uh, you know, going all the way back to, to Spielman and, and you know certainly even earlier than that. But uh, if if Laurinaitis is going to lead this team in tackles and be the you know the All American candidate and even as as some have said the Heisman candidate that he can be this year. Here, uh it's gonna depend on those big guys keeping him free to make tackles and roam the field and uh, so that's why i'm uh i'm picking the the defensive tackle here to be my key defensive player
1: i completely agree and uh jason uh as, as rick kind of hinted towards like the trestle uh disciplinary issue. It kind of added a little feel to the fire this week of the national perception of the Ohio State Buckeyes. Uh, Douglas Maricis of the Plain Dealer wrote a a pretty lengthy piece today, uh, you know, including Buckeye fatigue in the title and how uh, the nation as a whole, if you're not an Ohio State Buckeye fan, is inherently rooting against us, uh, waiting for one slip-up to knock us down a peg, saying if we do lose against USC, Uh, there's no chance we're going to win the national title because one loss just forces everyone to say, look, these guys aren't as good as they are. Um, And then the other argument on the other side is, look, these aren't the same guys coming back every year. It's not like hating the New York Yankees, per se, when you have the constant uh, barrage of A-Rod, Jeter, Giambi, Hideki Matsui. Um, I guess, one, is it justified that the nation is against us due to our lofting into the national championship game only to get blown out? And two, do you think that this year can be, finally be the time we can rectify that? Um, to answer the first part of that, yeah, I think it's
0: justified. I mean, you mentioned the Yankees, and I'm not even a big Major League Baseball fan, but I hate the Yankees. I mean, that's just part of being a sports fan. I think you, you, you tend to hate the teams that are successful year in and year out. Uh, maybe have you know the big budgets, the big programs, you know where it's a big deal in that town, and and there's no doubt that if if you know if it was Georgia or or Florida or or I don't know USC or whoever had lost you know twice in a row in the BCS title game, you know I, I'd be on that wagon as well. You know I'd say you know they've got to prove it. They, you know one loss, they're not going to get any slack, and and I can definitely understand that. Um, saying that, it uh, you know this is uh, about as good a year as any to, to turn that over. I mean, uh, I think that this is the best team Trestle's had in Columbus. Uh, you know, O two they won it all, of course, but, you know, there were seven games. They probably could have gone either way without some breaks that year. Um, yeah, talent-wise, I just think that, you know, this is this is probably the best team Trestle's had. So, yeah, yeah, I do believe this will be the year they get over the hump, but
1: I guess I wouldn't be a fan if I didn't believe that. Now, how much of that is our fault, given the the regression that we've seen in teams like Michigan, uh, Wisconsin, Michigan State to a point, uh, even Northwestern had their day in, the, day in the light. I mean, all these teams that were, at one point, doing a lot better, they gave the Big Ten their credibility against all the other conferences. Now, all of a sudden, we're we're struggling to get four or five teams ranked in the top 25.
0: Yeah, I, I think it's really saying something that, you know, in years past, Wisconsin or Illinois, that... The, the second or third best teams in the conference heading into the season, or what everyone perceived to be the second or third best teams, you know, it would probably at least one of them would be in the top ten, along with the with the best team, and you know, the other one would be on the fringe. And now, like you, know, you have one Big Ten team in the top ten, the preseason polls, and you know, um, Michigan with the Appalachian State uh, debacle and then the the Oregon uh, blowout, to follow fallout up certainly did the conference no favors. But you know, a lot of it obviously stems from the Buckeyes and, and their failures the last two years and. When, you know, all the lights are on them and everyone's watching them. Um, I don't I don't tend to think the conference is that bad. I think that, you know, obviously this is some cyclical stuff, but uh, well, you know, we'll see soon enough, and there, there's a perfect opportunity for some, for some early season redemption. You know, I think there's three or four games with the Big Ten squares off against uh, quality Pac-10 teams, including, you know, of course the USC game. So, you know, the, the only way we can earn that respect back is to, to win on the field,
1: and, and uh, you know, luckily we have something where we can measure it. So, well, and you mentioned a cyclical nature, and just to, to to wrap up this portion of the question, how, how much of this, you, you sense is turning into a capitalist-type environment, where the rich keep getting richer, where the, the top players only want to go to the best schools, where Ohio State, Florida's, Georgia's, Oklahoma's are going to consistently get the top, top players out of high school, and then the Iowa's, Illinois's, uh, you know, Minnesota's that you know, struggle to just stay afloat aren't going to be able to get anyone because they're just not – they don't have the legacy over the last three or four years that the other schools do have.
0: Um, I, yeah, there's definitely a lot of truth to that. I mean, you, it just seems like you're – like you said, the rich are getting richer and, you know, Florida, Ohio State, some of those schools that are in that crowd with, the you know, amazing facilities, enormous athletic departments, things like that. But right. I think what's what's really, really cool about college football is, uh, you know, the coaches and there's such a – broad array of, uh, you know, schemes and things like that, that, that you know, you, you can use spreads, you can use wishbones, maybe, you know, maybe, maybe that's a bad example these days, but you can use different offensive sets to kind of, you know, neutralize the talent factor. I mean, that's, that's essentially what Urban Meyer did at Utah. And uh, it's it's also part of what makes being a college defensive coordinator so difficult. You know, if, if you're if you're scheming against spreads all year, you want you know agile defensive linemen, and then you run into the LSU's of the world in the bowl game, and you need you know big, sturdy tackles. So. You know, I, there, there definitely is the, the the scenario, the rich getting richer, but the Iowas, the Minnesotas, the Northwesterns—they're not out of it either. I mean, there, there's enough they can do with schemes and, and and different types of things to keep them in games.
2: Well, and don't forget too. I mean, look at look at South Florida. Exactly. You know, I mean, here's a team that that just you know emerged on the radar, and suddenly they're a top 15 pick. You know, yeah, yeah. Um, and and or you take a, a program like Hawaii you know they get the right coach in there they get uh you know one or two you know quality quality players and suddenly you know they're playing in a BCS uh you know series game so sure. i think that uh, well it, it certainly is a, a case of the rich getting richer in some you know some instances there's always opportunity and, exactly. uh, with with recruiting being what it is now with you know with the internet and all the different ways that you can submit videos and whatnot um, I think that, that these coaches have honestly even a better shot nowadays to get a recruit than they did before so uh, I don't know. I don't know if it's if we're seeing a, a trend where the, the top teams are always going to be the top teams. I think it's still going to be cyclical. Yeah,
0: yeah, I agree. I think South Florida, though, I mean, one thing you obviously have to, that jumps out is, you know, where they're recruiting from. I mean, their backyard is producing so sure. much talent. I and mean, I don't know if you'd have a South Florida story up in Maine, obviously.
2: So. <laughs> I would doubt that, yeah. <laughs> Jason, I was reading your site today, again that's 11warriors.com, I was reading your site and you were kind of talking about some of the the different games that the Buckeyes are going to be having and which games might be trouble, which games are going to be uh, kind of easy, and uh, something that really jumped out at me um, from your site was that uh, teams last year that played Wisconsin, Big Ten teams that played Wisconsin, only won the following week twice. I believe it was uh, Indiana beat uh, like Ball State and uh, uh Penn State, you know, barely scraped by somebody. Uh you know, last year Ohio State, you know, plays Wisconsin. It was you know, it was a tough physical game and next week, you know, we, we lose to Illinois. Um and so now I was uh I was happy to see that our our game after Wisconsin is at home, and it's against Purdue. But uh, talk about that a little bit.
0: Sure, yeah. I mean, there's something to that. That, that uh, We actually had a, uh, one of the readers put up a guest post today, and he, he brought a lot of, a lot of cool uh, research and facts out. I was unaware of that, that, uh, like you mentioned, there are only two teams that, that won their next game after playing Wisconsin. And, and part of that is, you know, the legacy, the Alvarez, the, you know, the big, big tackles, the big bruising running backs, the, the smashing, you know, the mouth defense. Um, you know, my – look at the early 2000s. I mean, it like, seemed like every time, you know, even the late 90s, some of Cooper's years, it seemed like every time you would go out and play Wisconsin, you know, there were two or three Buckeyes hurt every every sure. Saturday we played those guys. And, that, that, you know, my youth is littered with just, you know, Fred Puggage I think, broke a leg against him one year. And it's just <laughs> – it's littered with Buckeyes just getting hurt playing those guys. And they come and they smash you in the mouth. And, that, you know, that's fun and, and it's part of Big Ten football. But you're right, it's tough to come back the following week. And uh, it is it, – you know, catching Purdue at home is going to be nice. I mean, they're not going to be a pushover by any means, but uh, certainly a little better in catching uh, Illinois the next week.
2: Sure. You know, it, let's, let's talk about this for just a little bit. You know, we've had a poll, up, poll question on our site about what we think the toughest conference game. I think everybody would agree that the toughest, toughest game of the season is probably going to be that USC game. But uh, toughest conference game this year, uh, Wisconsin is at Camp Randall. And not only is that a tough place to play, but uh, Jim Tressel actually is only two and three against Wisconsin. Uh, uh, you know, the only Big Ten team that he has a losing record against. So certainly that's going to be a tough game. What else jumps out at the schedule as a, a tough, uh, tough matchup for you?
0: Uh, well, obviously you have to mention Illinois. I mean, uh, year, that '06 team was, was pretty much a juggernaut, and they they barely scraped by when they went to Champaign. Um, I think the road trip to uh, to East Lansing is going to be tricky. Uh, Antonio's got that team revved up, and you know they're only going to be tougher and tougher to play each year. Um, I'm also looking at you know obviously the the Michigan game at the end of the year. I mean, on paper it should be a walk, but you know when's the last time a, a rookie Michigan uh, coach lost his opener to the Buckeyes? And everyone looks back at you know '69 and stuff. So you know we should win that one, but at the same time you can't go into it thinking you're going to because. You know, with that rivalry, you can pretty much throw out the records and the, the five stars and the four stars and anything else you want to put on paper because it's, it's going to be a, it's going to be a football game. They're going to punch each other in the mouth.
2: Yeah, you know, the Michigan game, like you say, everybody everybody just assumes that Ohio State's going to win this one. You know, add a, another year to Trestle's dominance there. Um, but you know what, Rodriguez is doing of of the many things he's done wrong, the one thing he's done right is he is reemphasizing that rivalry you know the, the everything from putting the the Ohio State jerseys on the tackling dummies during practice you know i think that that he realizes he could pretty much you know win one or two games all season as long as one of them was ohio state and be considered a successful season. Because exactly. I think that they're tired of losing to us. You know, finally that she was on the other foot, so to speak, and, and uh, they've had enough. And, and I think that they're going to be ready for that game. I think that's, the, the, that's what their game plan has been probably since the day he took office, and they've been planning and plotting for that game. You know, whereas the Buckeyes have all these games along the way that, you know, they're going to be in the national title hunt. They're going to be in the Big Ten championship hunt. You know, they have to be on their game each and every week where Michigan – you know, if they win or lose, to a lot of people, it's not going to make any difference. Uh, so I, I definitely agree. I think that as, as hard as it's going to be to play Wisconsin in Wisconsin and go to Champaign and play Illinois, that that game against Michigan, you know, I'm I'm very very grateful that that game's home this year.
0: Yeah, uh, completely. I mean. Uh, I think you're right that, that the expectations are pretty low up there right now. I mean, there, most people are like, oh, six wins, seven wins, eight wins would be a super bonus. But, uh, you know, beat Ohio State, and like you said, you know, week in, week out, it's not going to matter. The losses aren't going to be that big of a deal in his first year. He can get by with losing some games. But, uh, you know, the guys get geared up, especially if Ohio State makes it through and they're unbeaten going into that game. I mean, you know, how, how stoked will the be sure. for a chance to knock him down and take them cool. out of the title game?
2: And especially if Terrell Pryor has any kind of significant role in this offense. Uh-huh. Think about the motivation that exists there for Rodriguez, you know, the one that got away. Yeah. Uh, you know, and and Pryor has has the opportunity, and obviously not single-handedly, but Pryor has the opportunity to set that program back three or four years. <laughs> you know, uh, literally, you think about, you know, how close he was to possibly signing with Michigan. You know, and you know, we've read the reports where Rodriguez was was texting him even the morning that he eventually signed his his letter of intent. You know, trying to get him to come to Michigan. Uh, the difference that that he could have made at that program, and now they're going to be chasing him. You know, every for four years. Uh, so uh, that to me is is probably all the motivation that Rodriguez would even need. You know, if if he needed personal motivation.
0: So. Sure. I mean, yeah. Yeah. That's a great point. And like we were discussing earlier, you know, once again, that's a that's a scheme that you know won't cover up everything, but we'll we'll do a little bit
1: to neutralize the, the uh, talent differential between the two teams. Right. And just to, to shift the focus, I hate to keep passing blame on the rest of the conference, but we, we know how, you know, what we need to think of when the Buckeyes are playing the divisional opponents, but from when the divisional opponents are playing other teams, you know, part of me wishes, you know, while the Appalachian State episode from last year was was beautiful from, from the point that they, they beat Michigan. Would it have been better for Ohio State had Michigan's main loss only been to Oregon and then again to Ohio State just from a conference standpoint. And then, you know, you, you, in your in your recent soapbox on 11warriors.com, you mentioned uh, Minnesota and then the games at Northwestern that could be potential surprises for the Buckeyes. Do you see any other divisional opponents that are being pretty much swept under the rug right now because they're in the Big Ten actually uh, – causing some surprises come come this year, and I guess specifically the Illinois-Missouri game, and then uh, again uh, Michigan-Utah, you know, Michigan is being, you know, discredited for the entire season, but could either of these teams actually surprise and cause a stir making the Big Ten, you know, get back to where it should be? Uh, I hope so. I mean,
0: it's it's weird. Like I, I grew up, you know, rooting for for all these guys to lose all their games, and then and the way that the landscape's kind of shifted, where you know the SEC has got this uh, brotherhood where they all look out for each other, and they're they're dogging on us and saying how slow and plotting and terrible our football is. It's kind of it's kind of bringing big 10 fans together and it's kind of sad that it took that to do it. But at the same time, I mean, you're right. Illinois has that, you know, they're going to play in Missouri, you know, on Saturday at eight 30 on ESPN. That's a, that's a great, great opportunity to go out there and, you know, and kind of set a tone for the season, you know, like the big 10 is not crap football. And, uh, you know, we've all played sports or been competitive and there's like a associative uh, swagger effect, you know, for lack of a better phrase, it's like, you know, if, if if Illinois beat Missouri and, you know, we beat Illinois later then you know, we are good. You know, there's there's that whole feeling of, you know, our our guys took care of business, blah blah blah, we can you know, they, they beat these other good teams so you know, the morale and the the swagger and confidence of the conference is gonna just get an injection. Whereas maybe last year, like heading into the LSU game, it's like, yeah, the Bucs beat, beat Michigan, but some of the guys could have been sitting around saying, yeah, but they lost, you know, they lost Appalachian State, they got rolled by, rolled by Oregon, you know. What does this win really mean? Where, you know, I, I basically kind of come, come to realize that I want Michigan and, you know, pretty much every other team in the conference to be undefeated when we play them.
2: Yeah, you know, the, the funny thing is with the way that the Big Ten is set up, non-conference losses don't hurt you. In the Big Ten standings, you know, I mean, obviously they hurt you in the national rankings, but Big Ten standing-wise, you know, it, it doesn't really affect you in the least. And so, uh, now I gotta, I have to admit that I giggled like some type of schoolgirl when uh, when Appalachian State beat Michigan, and and again when Oregon beat Michigan. Um, but uh, you know, non-conference-wise, there's there's no reason, I guess, to root against the Big Ten teams unless. Well, unless it's Michigan, and then I just really don't care if they ever win. Again, to be honest with you, um, yeah, I,
0: I know that's a that's a tough one for a lot of Buckeye yeah, fans. But but uh, yeah,
2: I gotta agree. I think Illinois definitely can make a game uh, with Missouri. Make a game, nothing. I, I think that they're, you know, they have a, a legitimate chance to win that game. Um, I, I personally, I would call that about a fifty-fifty game, you know, going into it. Now, obviously, Missouri has uh, Chase Daniels coming back. Um, But, uh, you know, lost their their big weapons in the tight ends, and uh, so I don't know that that they're the overwhelming favorite there. As far as Michigan and Utah, I think that game is way too early in Michigan season for them to – uh, to be polished and ready to go you know uh, uh, still question whether or not they believe they have their their starting quarterback yet so uh, I, I don't really think that Michigan can pull that game off
0: but. yeah you're, you're probably right I'm going I'm to go ahead and uh, root for him anyway I mean as dumb <laughs> as that may sound but uh, yeah I, you know like I said I mean I had so much fun in 06 when both teams were undefeated in the year and I and, I guess I kind of would like to see that every year, sure. you know?
2: That was – I mean, the atmosphere in Ohio that for that game, you know, that edition of the game was, was just something else that, you know, I'll remember that one probably until I die. that, yeah, that was something
0: special. special. And don't forget, obviously, uh, Northwestern owes Duke a little bit of revenge. I mean, the Blue Devils won like two football games their last 30, 35 times out or so. And, uh, you know, one of those happened to be over Northwestern last season. And, you know, Northwestern is one of those teams that I think uh, – could probably do a little bit of damage in the Big Ten. I mean, I, I was telling someone the other day, I, I wouldn't be surprised at all to see them finish ahead of Michigan in the conference. I mean, they're not going to mm-hmm. challenge for the title, but, uh, you know, top four or something like that, no problem. You know I mean? It could easily happen. But, uh, you know, that's not going to okay, register. By me. Yeah, exactly. I mean, in, in getting revenge on Duke certainly won't register on SportsCenter <laughs> and all that stuff, but, man, we need it, you know.
2: Yeah.
0: I just hope we're not the Duke of uh, college football. No, no. Uh, and That's a good analogy, though. Right.
1: All right, well, uh, that about wraps up this segment. Jason from 11warriors.com, thank you very, very much for being a, being a part of uh, today's podcast. We're very appreciative. And uh, for all the readers of waitingfornexture.com, please check out 11warriors.com for all your Buckeye commentary. Again, uh, thank, big thank you to uh, Bob from calvesboard.com. Again, head out to calvesboard.com for all the latest on the calves. And uh, we will catch you all next week with the next time uh, waitingfornexture.com podcast. Thanks.
2: Strike three, call ball game.
1: This has been the
0: WaitingForNextYear.com podcast. For complete coverage of the Browns, Indians, Cavaliers, and all your Cleveland teams, log on to WaitingForNextYear.com.
1: Contact us on the internet.
2: Thank you, and good day.